off script with Trish Gloss, intimate interviews and conversations with interesting people. In front of my mic today is Neil Clooney of Smithfields in Ashland. Hello. Good morning, Trish. Good morning to you. You also um, own Pub and Pies. Yeah, I have the Smithfields Empire in, okay. in Ashland. Right. Two so restaurants. I know two. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's pretty big. Yeah. Right across the street from each other. It's perfect. <laughs> Not a lot of walking, right? Yeah, it's like a 45-second commute. Oh, that's awesome. We're going to talk a lot about Smithfields and Pub and Pies, but as usual, I always like to start these off with, where are you from originally? I am from a town called Hemel Hempstead in the United Kingdom. Okay. And what was your childhood like? Uh, well, we moved from Hemel Hempstead when I was about 18 months old, and we moved to a town called Wokingham, which was a very, back then, a very rural town. Okay. Uh, you could smell pig farms when you woke up in the morning, and uh, my parents had um, like a like a 7-Eleven kind of style store next to it, but we used to have our, all our own fruit and veg that we grew, and we put in the store, and we had a post office in the back, and me and my dad would go to cash and carry every week and, and get stuff for the store. Mm -hmm. So it was like... It's like a, you know, like a small grocery store. Okay. Where in the UK um, are we talking? Kind of give me, I don't, and I know nothing about where anything is in the UK. So. so Wokingham is in the county of Berkshire, which is the only royal county in England. It's where the Windsor Castle is in, in that county, oh, like Jackson okay. County. Yeah. I lived in Berkshire. Um, it's about 30 miles west of London, like literally straight west down the M4. That's the motorway. Okay. And, um. Yeah, now it's a, a big uh, commuter town for London because it's like an hour on the train. And so all these pig farms and uh, lots of open fields and that are now, um, you know, just loads of houses, mm. big communities. So it's turned into this real commuter kind of town now. Is that a bit sad for you? It was a little sad when I went back a few years ago and I was like, damn, I remember that used to be a field. <laughs> <laughs> now it's just like tons of houses. What do pig farms smell like in the morning? You know, it's definitely a smell you get used to. Right. And I, I mean, we were maybe half a mile away from it. I mean, it's, it's not as intensive as if you're actually on the farm. Okay. I think when you're actually on the farm, you're like, oh my God, it's terrible. Mm -hmm. blow it. Stings the nostrils. Yeah, it's almost a smell that you get used to and kind of like has that kind of comforting, I don't know if that's the right mm. word, but it, it feels normal. I, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. if, you do, if you deal with something every day, you get used to it, so it's not like, sure. not like oh, God, it stinks today. Right. It's like, oh. Well, you've noticed we, News 10 is right across the street from a lovely farm, and in the springtime, it often smells like chicken poop. Mm -hmm. Because it's fertilizer, they fertilize. And so while it stinks, it's awful. But it does remind you, it's like, oh, spring is here. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? It's yeah. kind of like that reminder, I guess. Totally. Yeah. So um, you guys moved at 18 months. And so did you live the majority of... Uh, yeah, I lived my whole um, school years in this town called Wokingham. Okay. Um, and yeah, it was cool. We had the greengrocer shops. We would constantly go to like pick your own. Uh, farms and that and pick strawberries in the summertime and mm -hmm. we would um, grow like uh, runner beans and and other produce and we would we would stock most of the produce ourselves okay. and um, I had a paper round really I was like yeah it was like my mum used to get up she had was it four days off a year it was like Christmas Day Boxing Day Good Friday and I think it was New Year's Day it was the only days I didn't do papers that's wild she would get up at six o'clock every single morning and put the papers together and on Sundays you have all those supplements that you have to uh -huh. put together they all come separate so you literally have to put them all together and I used wow. to help her do that and then I used to go on my paper round and I had the 
had the dodgiest paper around route because I was the son. So it was like, it was the one that was um, on an unpaved road. So it was all potholy and you'd go down there and you wouldn't be able to see every week you get multiple punches in your bike, you know, and you'd have to be constantly repairing your bike oh, punches. Man. But no, no one else wanted to do it. So mum was like, well, you know, you're the son, you get to have to. Right. Was she in charge of the paper? Like that was her job or? She, she would, yeah, she was running the shop. My dad was a, was a bookie. He had a free bookmaker shop. So. Okay. And then you, the store that you guys had, your family had, you said you grew a lot of stuff to stock that store. Yeah, we had okay. like, we had like um, an acre of land behind our house. So we would, we constantly, we had chickens, we had the eggs that we would put in mm -hmm. there and we had grew vegetables and that. And, you know, yeah, it was fun. We had the paper around and I said, my dad was a bookmaker. So he was like, he had free, sh free stores. Mm -hmm. So he was constantly out doing those. I didn't really see him that much, but I um, yeah, I would do my paper around every morning and get the bus to school. And So food was very much in your life from very early. Mm -hmm. I mean, and food meaning fresh, like farm growing, living off the land food. Right. It, it was. I would say the problem we had was that my parents were both so busy right. that they didn't really have time or want to have time to really cook. Cook all, cook all this beautiful food that yeah, was on the Yeah, they were just land. like, we're getting it, we're selling it, mm -hmm. we're doing it, but do I want to spend hours in the kitchen and making these nice dinners? So yeah, no. a, lo a lot of it was like fish fingers out of the freezer and, mm -hmm. you know, frozen peas and just like real quick. You know, my mum would make a mean Sunday roast or a nice casserole or something like that. But, um, yeah, during the week it was just quick, convenient. Sure. You know. So your childhood sounds very idyllic. You know what I mean? It's just this you know, you had a paper route and you guys had a store <laughs> yeah. and you had chickens and yeah. a farm and yeah. I mean, I don't know. It just sounds very, um, storybook like. Yeah. I mean, Wokenham is a, is a cool little town. Um, yeah. I mean now again, you go down now and it's all, um, it's all chain restaurants now. Mm -hmm. That's, that's happened a lot in the English mm -hmm. high streets. All the restaurants are now it's like, they're like, a photocopy of the next town over, you know, oh, you yeah. see the same it's fast food restaurants, the same coffee shops, the same, it's yeah. all. Which is what we see here right. a lot. You know, you, you move to a town, it's like, oh, they have this, they have Starbucks, yay. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like. I remember when we got our first McDonald's and woke, and it was like the most exciting thing ever. Like, yeah, we got McDonald's. And now it's just like, oh. Right? <laughs> Did you go when it was, when it was there or? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I used to go visit my, uh, my gran in Hemel Hempstead, um, she used to take me to McDonald's there and she would never let me ever get a Big Mac. Really? She was like, you can have one cheeseburger and if you want another cheeseburger, I'll get you another cheeseburger. But, but no Big Mac. You can't have the Big Mac. I wonder, what was her reasoning, you think? <laughs> she thought it was too much food, hmm. you know? So you, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> two cheeseburgers equals one Big Mac? Yeah. Not really, no, but. Grandma says no, yeah. absolutely not. Uh, what were you like in high school? Uh, I went to an all boys school. You know, we wore blazers and white shirts and ties. Really? Yeah, everyone was uniformed. And that's a big big difference between America and England is that, I mean, I always wore a school uniform. In my junior school, I had a tie shirt and a, mm -hmm. a sweater, gray pants. Um, you know, so there's no, like, social difference in class, you know? Like, everyone's wearing the same clothes. You're all you the know? same. So there's no, like mickey-taking or I mean there is obviously but that they just take that out of the equation you know it's not mm -hmm. like oh that guy's dressed poorly or whatever yeah you know? um so yeah we were all uh all boys school my sister went to the all girls school and there was two mixed schools in that town but 
So yeah, we used to do school discos with the all boys school and the all girls school. Used nice. to mix and um, yeah, it was it was fun. We used to get the the coach to school every morning. With a really nice coach to school and yeah, I mean I wasn't the greatest academic person. Mm-hmm. I was always at top of the bottom as opposed to <laughs> no actually no, I was always bottom of the top class. Yes. And I'd always be like, why can't I just get put down to the bottom class so I can be at the top? Right. You know, and I might excel more and do better, but I was always like the one that was getting the lowest grades in the top class. And I was like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> always always a struggle. Yeah. Well, uh, when did you start to get into cooking? Like when did you kinda when did that hit you that, hey, this is I think what I want to do? Yeah, so um when uh when we were young, we always went to this uh, hotel in a place called, it's called Salt and Sands, and it's in Devon, which is in the west country of England. And uh, we went there every half-term break. It was like four days. It was a super nice hotel, like four-star hotel. And um, every year we went, and the hotel managers and the restaurant manager, they knew my mum and dad, you know, mm-hmm. first name terms. And um, I was always kind of fascinated, and I always looked forward to this trip, but how many people were working there and how many people were staying there mm-hmm. and how that whole thing was just like this existence, you know, of like... A machine. Yeah, people aren't at home, they're staying in this building and they're, people here are working oh, and these yeah. people... And it always fascinated me from a young age because we went there from like, I don't know, the age of six or seven all the way through to the age of like 14 or whatever. So, um, you know, when we're in my last year of my senior school and they're like, okay, it's work experience week, what do you want to do? So I was like, um, I want to go work in a hotel. Mm-hmm. So I went there and I did one day in every department, um, accounting, housekeeping, front of house, um, and the kitchen. And I thought every department sucked. I was like, oh, this is boring. There's nothing going what on. What did I do? Here. What did I get myself into? Yeah. And then I was in the kitchen. I was like, man, this is fun. There's like knives and it's cooking. And, <laughs> and you get to work with all this like produce that's coming in and constantly learning new stuff and it was mm-hmm. like you know very time management driven like you have to do this by this time to get this done and yeah. blah 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 yeah and so I um I decided to write 16 letters to um to local hotels within the region asking for an apprentice chef program and I got accepted by uh, the castle hotel in Windsor which is right opposite the castle in Windsor where Prince Harry just got married right and um it was a forte hotel, a freestyle hotel, and I did a two-year culinary apprenticeship program where I get one day at school and uh, four days at work. Hmm. Did you watch the wedding, by the way? Sorry. I did. I, I had the pub open, and it was also FA Cup final day, which is a, like the mm-hmm. Super Bowl of English football, soccer. And uh, so I had the royal wedding on one TV and the FA Cup final on the other TV. Was it important <laughs> for you to watch? Because I know this I is kind really of care. a thing. Okay. No, I don't care. I mean, a lot of people really get into this, especially those who live in England. I mean, they just, they, Oh, and it was huge because Meghan Markle is a mixed race. Right. So, you know, there was that whole, like, you know, the royal family is really grounded now. And, you know, it's not this hoity-toity upper crust. These are like real people. And, you know, the working class could really get behind them kind of thing, you know. So Hmm. I think it was, I was speaking to my mom and that, and and I think she watched it or whatever, but she was like, you know, it was a real good sense of feeling in the country when that's know, awesome because everyone likes Harry you know I mean he's never going to be king he's always the the rogue prince mm-hmm. yeah I like Harry and yeah. yeah anyways all right so you decided you did this sort of apprenticeship or you got accepted to mm-hmm. one and so was it that kind of just the beginning the start of everything else that followed yeah so I, it was just like um it was supposed to be a three-year course um 
but they changed the vocational qualification so I was able to do the original three-year course in two years as long as I didn't miss any time. So I could do my qualifications and, you know, I kind of hated going to college. It kind of sucked. You know, you sat in a kitchen and you're like, okay, you have four hours to make four dishes. You know, that's totally uh, against the reality of actually working in the kitchen. Right. And, um, but I did it and, you know, we'd go to the pub and have a break or whatever and we'd skip the health and hygiene class or whatever. <laughs> And, um, but at work, I loved it, you know, I was getting paid like 50 pound a week and um, I left home at 16. I lived in the like the um, staff accommodation in the hotel. Okay. And uh, yeah, and I was just working and I was working with all these other chefs and, you know, we had all the chef coats and the neckerchiefs and the tool hats and right. it, was, it was legit. Um, you know, we did banquet caterings and yeah, from there it was just... Um, just keep on cooking kind of thing, you know? You left home at 16? Mm-hmm. You never went back? Mm-mm. I did when I, I worked on the QE2 cruise liner for two years. And when I came back from there, I was 22, and I lived at home for about two months, and I was like, I can't that, handle like, this. That's <laughs> it. Two months is long enough. <laughs> oh, I got to get out. But yeah, I left home. I, just, I finished school, barely got my um, my high school exams done, because at that point, I always knew I was going to be a, like, going on this cooking course. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really study. I did way better in my mock exams than I did in my actual exams. But yeah, and I left home at 16. It was uh, August 1990. Mm -hmm. There's people, I feel, that can kind of be professional students. They just, mm -hmm. school is their thing. Right. It's what they're good at. And then you have this other group that just, they want to work. Yeah, like, I mean, if you look at it now, especially in this country, it costs you so much to go to school. And there's so many trade jobs out there. Right that people aren't exploring. And these trade jobs pay really well, but it's been driven into people here. You, you gotta need go to education. school, you gotta go to yeah, school. Yeah. You gotta put yourself in hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt. <laughs> <laughs> you know? When you can go get a perfectly good trade job as an engineer and learn that skill and still make mm -hmm. 50, 60 grand a year or whatever, I mean. Do you think you picked that up a little bit from your parents? Because your parents just seemed like very workhorse kind mm -hmm. of mentality. Yeah, they're always self-employed. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so after they had the bookmakers they sold we sold the shop and their house and we had all that land so we built a new house and this was about when I was like 16 17 they built the new house and then um and then they went into the insurance business and my parents retired when they were 55 nice yeah and um yeah so they've always been self-employed so I always mm -hmm. got that kind of like strong work ethic like almost to the point where it's like I have to work I have to work and if I'm not working I feel guilty you know I'm like oh, especially at my two restaurants I'm like I take a day off and I'm like I should really be there. Man. I so know <laughs> that feeling. It's like when you call in sick or you're just like, I'm really tired. I want to take a day off. But then you instantly feel guilty because you're at home and not working and not helping your team. Yeah. And I see the restaurants busy or whatever. And I'm like, oh, and I'm like, how was it? Like, yeah, I'm like, oh, I so should have been there. I should have been there. I should have been. But it's so it's ridiculous. Like yeah. you, ha you have to take care of yourself and yeah, your you, family. Yeah, totally. You know? I mean, you have to get that separation. But you know, restaurant business, both both spots are open seven days a week. So, you know, email's always on, phone's yeah. always on, yeah. you know. The grill's always on. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, totally. er, yeah. So Something's breaking down or someone's not showing up for work, you know. Right. No, no, I get, I totally feel you on that strong work ethic. And I'm not like bragging, like I have a super strong work ethic. But I do feel guilty sometimes when I don't come into work. And mm -hmm. it's so bizarre. Because other people are like, I don't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I wish I had that feeling a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the only time I, like, I feel like I'm truly at peace is if I'm out of the country 
or if I'm in a place where I don't get cell service. <laughs> and I'm just like, I can't do anything about it. Right. It doesn't matter. Right, <laughs> right. That's it. I think that's the key. So, um, so you sort of, I mean, culinary school was kind of different for you then. It wasn't a traditional <clears throat> culinary school or was it traditional? It was. I mean, it, okay. was at, uh, it was at Thames Valley University and, mm. you know, we had the chef lecturers and that. And it, I, it was essentially just to get the qualification in my eyes. Okay. I, I learned way more actually in the kitchen yeah. working with these other chefs than I did in the, in the school. But it's, I guess it's the grounding and, you know, and then back then like, there was no internet. So anything you needed to learn, like, you mm -hmm. know, you had to pick up a cookbook and mm -hmm. research and read. And now I come up with an idea and the first thing I do is put it in a Google search Google. engine and see what else is going on, you know? Yeah, for sure. So when did you move to the States? Uh, 2002. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that wasn't really that long ago. Yeah, 16 years ago. Mm -hmm. And we were in, um, we were in San Diego for two years, um, operating a restaurant, um, because I used to manage Dragonfly in, in Ashton for six years. Mm -hmm. So that was the, the mothership restaurant kind of thing down in San Diego. And then the people who owned that um, wanted to open this one in Ashland. And uh, we interviewed some people uh, down in San Diego from Ashland. And Norm really kind of fitted the bill. So uh, we came up here and uh, checked it out. And I was like, dude, this is cool. Because I was getting pretty tired of San Diego. I'd only mm -hmm. been there two years, and like, mm -hmm. two thirds of my wardrobe was redundant. You know, it was like seventy-five <laughs> and nice every day. And I'm like, all these cool like London clothes, and I can't wear them. And then, uh, and there's just no gauge on the year. You know, it's like all of a sudden someone's blowing up a snowman and throwing it on their front lawn, and it's Christmas, and you're like, oh, it's it is, yeah, cool. because it's, every day is the same pretty much. You know? Exactly. Like, there's no real temperature difference or anything. It's hard. So when you moved here, you moved straight to San Diego. Straight to San Diego, okay. two years in San Diego, and then uh, to Ashland. So I went from like 20 million people to 2 million people to 20,000 people in two years. So it was quite the, quite the downsize. Well, yeah. Was yeah. it a little bit of a culture shock? It was. And then, you know, I just thought Ashland would be kind of a stepping stone that I would like move up to like Portland or Seattle and get mm -hmm. back into a city kind of vibe again. But then, you know, it's, it's a great little town and it's... Um, People that live there are, are very um, globally knowledgeable, mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of travelers, and the culinary scene is is pretty incredible in Ashland. And I just realized that it's uh, it's like a small town, big city vibe, and we're pretty close to everything if we want to get to that big city fix. So it's Agreed. like, you know, do you want to live in a big city and come to a place like Ashland, or do you want to live in Ashland and then go to the big city? You know, that kind of trade off. And you know, it's nice to visit the cities. You know, mm -hmm. and I actually live in one. So you, you guys started Dragonfly. It was essentially kind of like a little break off of this restaurant that was in San Diego. Mm -hmm. And I have very fond memories of Dragonfly. Absolutely loved Dragonfly. I was heartbroken when it closed. Yeah, a lot of people. Heartbroken. A lot of people. So some people say to me, what would have a restaurant you do in this town? I'd like, I'd do a Dragonfly. But like maybe a smaller scale, maybe like a food truck kind of scale or something oh. like that, you know. Just as long as there's double happiness on the right? menu. Yeah, yeah. a lot of people were bummed out. Because I left in 2010, and it it kept on going to about yeah. 2014. But it, you know, it just, you know, the wheels got a little bit dirtier. They can't it wasn't like, the same. It wasn't spinning as cleanly, you mm -hmm. know, it was a little more fragmented. Okay. So you decided to open up Smithfields. And this was a, a partnership, right, with, with D or no? Uh, Dee's my general manager. Okay. Um, 
who's also your ex-wife. Ex-wife as well, yeah. Which we, blows my mind that we, you guys can work together we so well. We coexist. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it works, you know. I understand the value in, um, in having someone in front of house who is uh, so personable and works, you mm -hmm. know, well and has the same um, mentality and light-mindedness of what we expect from the business. For sure. So on that level, once you get past all the other differences, then, you know, you, have, you respect that yeah. and nurture it and, and we're still still manage the place together so yeah well and you guys are to me correct me if i'm wrong it seems like you have each other's back too mm -hmm. you know like she's she has your back you have hers yeah and totally you guys are working together and in, in this incredibly successful well, i mean we've known each other quite a long time so um so we know each other really well obviously and we were married for seven odd years or whatever right so i mean there's that and we don't hate each other so <laughs> there's also that but you, you argue sometimes <laughs> Can be frustrating at times, <laughs> yeah. But, you okay, know. so you opened up Smithfields. Um, did you always want to open up a restaurant like that? You know, I was, I wasn't one hundred percent sure what I was, <clears throat> what I was doing. I was managing Dragonfly, and you know, I went and did a couple of stages up in Portland with um, the Olympic Provisions guys. I had his car around that, and worked up there for a hot minute. And you know, I was trying to figure out what Ashton needed. You know, because mm -hmm. there's so many restaurants in this town. Like, what was what was the demographic that was missing? Um, you know, and I, not to be derogatory towards other restaurants, but I feel a lot of restaurants in town, they, you look at one menu and you, you've seen it like five times. There's a mm -hmm. lot of restaurants trying to do the same thing. So I wanted to do and try and do something different, not say that I was the only, gonna be the only steakhouse in town, obviously there's a couple more, but I just wanted to do something different where it's more like a um, chop house style menu and just really mm -hmm. focus on um, like charcuterie and, and stuff like that and um, try and do something a little bit different in like an environment that was like backstreet kind of San Francisco-y, Portland kind of vibe, you know, that whole mm -hmm. wood and chalkboard and right. Edison bowls and just make it like like a cool vibe. I was, I call it like blue collar meets gold collar. Like you can come in for a burger and a beer and be done with 20 bucks mm -hmm. or you can come on a nice date night and order fillet steak for $42 and a $120 bottle of wine and you know right there's opportunities to spend right. your money but you can you can come in and be chill there's no tablecloths there's no folding your napkin on the back of the seat when you go to the bathroom it's mm -hmm. not that kind of restaurant it's casual you know but still with high quality food and um, the opportunity to, to make it whatever you want it to be really totally and I think the interesting thing about, you know, you were saying opening up a steakhouse type place in Ashland, I think there is sort of a, maybe a stereotype that it's a lot of vegetarian mm -hmm. type establishments in Ashland, which have their place, absolutely. So I think Smithfields did come in and offer something completely different where there's, you see rabbit on the menu. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, I mean, different. And I, and I wasn't, like I knew from working at Dragonfly that there was still people that ate meat and it wasn't all this PC raw vegan food going on. And I, I just, I was just loud and proud about it. I'm like, hey, I'm opening a meat-centric restaurant. This is full on meat. I've got one vegetarian dish, and it's got dairy in it, and gluten. Um, you know, but I do have vegetarians that come to my restaurant because we have great vegetarian sides and great vegetarian salads, and they they mm -hmm. respect the cooking. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've even had vegans come into my restaurant, which blows my mind. But you know, we accommodate them, and we 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 give them a good meal, and they're happy and. Hey, that's, that's what matters, I guess, right. at the end of the day. But yeah, I just wanted to be loud and proud about it. And yeah, a lot of people at the beginning were like, oh, you're crazy, dude. You're opening a meat restaurant, Ashton. Mm -hmm. You're going to be out of business You're going to no bomb. <laughs> yes, but Smithfields has been open how long now? Uh, we're in our, 
we opened 2011, so we're in our eighth year of business. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, our sales are up every year over and over again, so. That's awesome. Yeah. What's your, um, what's one of your favorite things that you serve at Smithfields? What do you just like, love it when you hear someone's ordering it? Yeah, I always like, um, people order the bone marrow. I'm always just like, yeah. And when, when I actually hear them freak out over the bone marrow, they're like, oh my God, dude, this is amazing. Because again, it's like a niche thing. Like maybe one other restaurant in town does it. Mm -hmm. But um, just hearing people, because I don't really eat my menu that much anymore. Like right. occasionally now and again, but I mean, I'll grab a steak or very rarely do I sit down and eat a dinner. Like I've got two young children and they're not the most copacetic to want to hang out in the restaurant as well. <laughs> sure. so it's just like snatch and grab food and go home. But when I do eat in the restaurant and you do eat like the dishes as they're meant to be that the customers eat and you're like, damn, that really is good. And, um, but yeah, bone marrow is definitely uh, like my favorite. And I know the, I don't think they're on the menu anymore, where the Scottish quail eggs? The Scotch quail eggs. Scotch quail eggs. Yeah. They're not, but we do have a Scotch um, hen egg over at the pub, which people lose. Like, not many people know what it is. Right. But people, like, when they go, like, dude, this is amazing. And we, like, my cooks have got it perfectly figured out, so the rope is, like, still, like, completely runny. Mm. And it's surrounded by sausage, and then it's breadcrumbed and deep fried. So it's, like... It's like fried breakfast. It's like the pro Sounds the protein amazing. bomb. Didn't you say that was like picnic food for you growing up? Yeah, in England they serve cold. Okay. And it's like picnic food, and the eggs always got that that little gray ring around the yolk where the eggs overcooked. And but we serve ours hot, and the egg yolk's like nice and runny, and Yum. it's just a different. I have English people come in and they order it. And I'm like, you don't get one of those like that in England, and they're like, nope. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do you cook at home? Uh, no, I like to grill at home, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, everything, I don't like washing up, you know. Right. But I always do the washing up, like, if there's like a task of jobs at the house, like, I'll detail out the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Like, Claire can do laundry, like, I always, like, don't make the bed properly, you know. Well, yeah, but, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I, I'm a very weird person when it comes to making the bed. It has to be a certain way. And if anyone else does it, I know, and I have to redo it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I always say never be uh, good at the jobs you don't want to do. Yeah. And then you won't be asked to do them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as far as uh, Pub and Pies, when, when did you guys open Pub and Pies? Uh, October 2015. Okay. And what was the, you know, what was the urge behind opening up a restaurant like that? Well, it started actually when we were back in England. Um, we went to England in 2014 for Claire's 30th birthday, and... Um, we went to this uh, football match. It was like Swindon versus Sheffield United, real kind of lower league match. But my mm -hmm. brother-in-law's a Swindon fan, and we were in the naughty end. You know, it's like no kids, and everyone's standing up, and lots of swearing, and you know, nice. heckling and abusing players, and the referee and that, and screening obscenities at the away fans and stuff. Okay, perfect. But there was like this little. Uh, there's this company. It's called Pucker Pies, and they make like 180,000 pies a day. And they serve like all the festivals, they serve all the football all the football stadiums and they do stores and that. Anyway, Claire went down to get a pie and it was called this chicken bolty pie. She ate it and she's like, Oh my god, this is amazing. <laughs> and she's like, I'm gonna go get another one. So she wanna go another one. She ate it, she's like, We should do a pie shop in Ashland. Oh. And I was like, All right. This was back like two thousand fourteen, yeah. So this was Claire's idea. Your, lo your lovely bride. Yeah, initially it was, she was like, we should do a pie shop. And I was like, all right. I was like, thinking about it, thinking about it. I was like, how are we going to do this? And, and um, you know, selling food never makes much money. Selling alcohol, you wait 
make way more, more money on, you know. So anyway, the, the Irish pub across the street, um, uh, the, the guy who owned it then um, come up to me and was like, hey man, I'm getting kind of burnt out in this place. Do you want to manage this bar for me? And I was like, no, I'll manage it for you. I was like, I'll buy it from you if you want to sell it. And he was like, no, 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 I can't sell it. I was like, all right. And so I guess and this he, is the Irish pub right across the street from Smithfield. From Smithfield, yeah. Okay. And then uh, um, I guess he told his wife, and sure enough, the next day his wife comes up to me, she's like, we're selling. How much do you want to offer us? No way. <laughs> and so, you know, we highballed, lowballed, whatever, found a place in the middle that we, we um, could do on. And it just, um, yeah, it was just like a, a pub and a pie shop. I mean, what could be more English? You know, we're going we're gonna to do an English pub mm -hmm. with um, an English pie shop, which was like the, the style. And, uh, and the perfect location, it's right across the street from the restaurant. So, you know, I've got this like casual, fine dining restaurant. Mm -hmm. It's this real like relaxed pub vibe atmosphere. Um, yeah, I call it my man cave with headaches. Like I, I, get to, I get to go down there and chill out and watch sports and that, but I have to deal with employees and, you know, stuff right. breaking down and, right. and that. And um, Well, then you say too, like a, a pub, you know, pub and pies type of place there's a lot of them on the high streets in, you know, in certain communities. Yeah, I mean, within England. Def. Well, used to be. Used uh, to so be. going back now, like, um, we drove from what, my hometown to this other town, like seven miles, to actually go to this pie shop in Reading called Sweeney Todd's, <laughs> and there was literally, um, like, I mean, because in England there's pubs everywhere. Right. There was literally like seven pubs that were like shuttered down, boarded up, had been changed into like Metro Tesco's, which are like. Tesco's like the big superstore, mm. and they've been changing into like these little grocery stores. And I guess people in England have just stopped going out drinking. I mean, what? Everyone's like, it's so expensive. Ugh. And unless you have a good food program, no yeah. one's going to the pub anymore to drink five pints because the, the police got super active. And, you know, they, I mean, I'm not encouraged to drink driving, but no, pretty no, no. much everyone, yeah. you know, you just go down to the pub, have five beers, drive home. No big right. deal. Um, but the police cracked down really hard, so no one's drinking and driving, which is great. And uh, and unless you have a good food program, there's no point in going to the pubs. So a lot of these pubs, hmm. they either got taken over by the breweries, so now they're like corporatized again. Like There's like a few big breweries that they own all the pubs, and none of them are independently owned by proprietors or owned by the right. breweries. Um, so it kind of lost that little bit of charm, and then the pie shops, they struggled as well. I mean, a lot of, as I said, a lot of the high streets are now, they're all like photocopied images of each other. They have Pizza Express, mm -hmm. Costa Coffee, mm -hmm. same generic. Well, then you're bringing a little bit of old school to Ashland, Oregon then. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely, you know, what we try to do with Smithfields as well is that, that artisan um, type of food. Like, how do we used to treat food before we had refrigeration? We used to cure it and preserve it and salt. Mm -hmm. So it would, you know, mm -hmm. stand the test of time. And, you know, going back to the British Navy, I mean, they... They packed everything in salt right. and limes. That's why we were called limeys. Right, right. But, um, you know, just going back to that old world artisan kind of stuff and, you know, the pies, you know, we don't use a, any, we use a, a sheeter to run it, but we, we make all the dough by hand in small batches. They're all hand crimped. Mm -hmm. You know, the mixes we make in like 60 portion batches. So everything's just like small, small portion sizes. And um, well, not portion sizes, that sounds bad, but, um, you know, small quantities of stuff we're making. Right. And, um, yeah, just that old tradition. You know, we have a cask ale on, which is how we used to drink beer in England when we, 
when we made it in India, when we had colonized India. Mm-hmm. So I just called it IPA. IPA, right, India, India Pale Ale. And we used to bring them back on the boats, and they used to be in these big wooden casts, and they used to splice it, and you'd have to drink it in um, a couple of days, otherwise it would go bad, but, you know, it's warm. Well, which is what we do now. You right. have to drink that beer in a couple of days. <laughs> and then, you know, it was warm, flat beer, you know? Ugh. Right. Ugh. All right. Um, so you have two lovely children. I do, yeah. Yeah, very young children still. They recently just turned five and recently just turned two, yeah. My daughter just turned five and my son two. What, anything surprise you about fatherhood? Um, you know, it's probably going to sound weird, but it wasn't as hard as what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Like, we, we still managed to lock in a good, like, six hours sleep a night and yes. not get to it. Now it's, now it's getting more challenging, I think. When they were smaller, it was easy to manage, but mm-hmm. now they're like, but they're really growing into who they are as people as well. Mm-hmm. Like my son, he's he's got some speaking skills going on, but he still lets his sister do most of the talking for him, <laughs> and she's quite willing to do that. <laughs> but, uh, but but now they're just uh, more energetic, and mm-hmm. they want and they want to do stuff which is cool. You know, like um, they love going golfing. Like we go golfing, I just sit them in the golf cart, and mm-hmm. my son has a little wooden putter in here. I let him put around on the green, and and I either run off and pick flowers or whatever. I love it. And, you know, before, Claire would be like, seriously, you're going golfing? Like, what the hell? How long are you going to be? And now she's like, honey, do you want to go golfing? Do you want to go golfing and take (laughs) the kids? (laughs) Well, you love to golf. Yeah, I mean, I always say a bad day on the golf course is better than a good day in the office. I don't know when you have time to play golf, but you do it. I went out yesterday morning, which was kind of crazy. We went and played out Stuart Meadows with um, one of the Brothers Reed guys. You in the smoke? You guys in the smoke? I was like, it must be crazy, but <laughs> All it's right. good to get out. Uh, we're wrapping up a little bit, so I'm going to go ahead and get to the final three. Best advice you've ever been given? Um, I wouldn't say, say it was much advice, but it was a, a comment I read, and it mm-hmm. was in the executive chef's office on the QE2, the boat I worked on. And it was this frame piece. It was right by the desk, and, and it said, be nice to people on your way up because you never know who you're going to meet on your way down. Mm, that is good advice. And I just... I feel especially, I, I used to be a, kind of a, a hard-ass chef to work for. Even when I had Dragonfly and it wasn't even my business, but I would be like kind of nasty and mean to people and like cooks and be very militant. Like, no, you can't take a break or, you mm-hmm. know, work faster. And now I find I own my own business that I have to, um, especially in the current climate with legal marijuana and just like how it's like, it really has taken... The, a lot of the hospitality workers out of the industry because they can go water and trim a plant for way more money and listen to a podcast without having someone like me shout at them for minimum wage you know know. in hot humid conditions right so now i just feel i have to be not have to be but i think it's in my interest to be nice and kind to everyone and to be flexible and to be um you know accommodating and just like hey this is a job that we need to get done but i don't need to be a dick about it and for them to get it done we can just right. we can work together so the whole be nice to people on the way up because you never know who you're going to meet on the way down i think translates more to me now it's like just be nice to people you're working with try and create that environment that makes them want to mm-hmm. work for you you know no it is good advice um if you were ever given a last meal and a last drink oh, what would that be <laughs> <laughs> uh, last meal is always a tough one. I, I, I always stumble on these questions because there's so many foods I like at I so know. many different moments. Like, and this is it. This is the last one you're ever going to get. The last one you're ever going to have. Oh, man. I mean, it would have to be something extravagant, I guess, like 
some pan seared foie gras and on top of a fillet steak with like a really rich you and just like mm. something that you don't eat it because you know it costs lots of money or whatever but you know i love fried chicken i love burgers i love meatloaf i love comfort foods so there's just like so many mm-hmm. it would really be a like a game time decision i think if someone said okay this is your last meal what do you want be like right. mm, i really fancy this you know you can do courses too it could be like <laughs> like a three course final meal yeah, so to begin with and then probably a creme brulee to finish with i'm a, just a sucker for those simple baked oh, yeah. custard dishes i know crunchy sugar mm, the best uh, your last drink uh yeah it'd have to be whiskey based on some level so my current favorite is like old-fashioned Nice. Um, man, uh, and anything along those realms would be uh, good. But then, you know, a really expensive bottle of red wine to go with that fillet steak point wouldn't be too bad either. So courses. <laughs> we'll have to keep courses. Um, and then if you ever left this place, uh, Southern Oregon, what would bring you back here? What would you miss the most about it? Uh, you know, I really dig the seasons, mm-hmm. although now we seem to have five seasons spring, summer, smoke, fall and winter. Yeah, I know. Um, but I really dig the seasons. Like they were the most unique seasons out of everywhere I lived, you know. Um, the people are cool and just like the, just the outdoorsiness of it. But, you know, we got Ashland and it's a real cool community and you can walk down the street and say high five to people and, right. and that. But then you drive half hour and you can be in the middle of nowhere. And just like the, you know, there's rivers, there's mountains, there's golf courses, um, great camping. I just think um, I think Southern Oregon is uh, just a really cool, special place to live, and especially to bring up a family and stuff like that. They get to experience all these great outdoorsy stuff. Yeah. Very good. Good stuff, Neil Clooney. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes and you like it, please subscribe, rate, and review. It helps other people find us. You can also listen to us on Google Play. You can check out the video portion of this podcast at ktvl.com. Just click on Features, then Off Script. And please go see and visit Neil Clooney at Smithfields and Pub and Pies seven days a week. Seven days a week. Oh, it's good. It's some of the best food I've ever had. All right, Neil Clooney, thank you so much. Thank you, Josh.